Man, I'm happy to be back in this house this morning. Would you give it up for Pastor Rory who filled in last week preaching, preached a great message. And uh, but I'm happy to be here. I was in uh, Michigan all this past week uh, working on my uh, doctoral project. Uh, Pastor Daniel Grothy and I are in the same program together, so we spent a great week together. But man, I was missing you. And, uh, you know, I'm grateful to be back here every time I leave this place and go talk to other people around the country about what they're working on and what they're in the midst of. I come back with a renewed appreciation for how special this church is. You know, Daniel and I will sit there and we're telling people about New Life Church and what God has done here. And I'll tell them about New Life East and what the story that we're in the midst of here in this community. Yeah, and people get this look on their face like, a church like that actually exists? And it does. By the grace of God, it does. And, uh, you know, I, I tell people all the time, actually I say this to the team all the time, that, uh, you know, do, like don't miss the moment, you know. Like life has this way of, you know, shifting things and changing things. And sometimes you don't really realize that you're in the good old days until they're over, you know. And so like this moment right now and all that God is doing in our midst is just so remarkable. So I'm so happy to be here with you. Uh, so happy to be baptizing people this morning. Um, so look, we've got two folks that are getting baptized in a little bit here. And, uh, but we also, like the waters of baptism are warm this morning. And so if you have not taken the plunge ever, but you have sensed the Spirit's work in your life, drawing you to faith in Christ Jesus, knitting you into the family of faith, we would love to baptize you. So uh, when I give the call at the end of the message for the candidates to come forward and be baptized... If you'd also like to be baptized, we've got towels for you and we'll take good care of you. So we'd love to have you jump in the tank this morning. Uh, it is the season of Easter. Did you know that? Yeah, some of you knew that. That's good. So uh, Christ is risen. Yeah, see, we just keep it. Christ is risen. No, but I mean Christ is risen. He really is, you know. And I didn't, it took me a long time to realize that Easter is actually a season. That you don't just kind of go like, yay, Jesus did a neat trick. Now what's the next thing that we're moving on to? But Easter is the whole thing. God has inaugurated the new creation. The kingdom of God has been established on earth in the person of the Messiah who came and lived a human life and died a human death and was raised to life again. And so from the very earliest days of the church, one of the ways that the church has celebrated and enacted that reality is by baptizing people either on Easter Sunday or in subsequent Sundays. So we're continuing a long-standing tradition of welcoming people into the new creation this morning. And also part of the reason that this is so important is that we as the church are given an opportunity not just to remember but also to live more deeply into the waters of baptism and all that is stipulated and meant by these waters. And so I'm going to be in the book of Colossians chapter 1. And uh, what I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to lead us in a little bit of a catechism this morning. You're like, really? You're really doing that? That sounds like a big word, and I don't think that I want to do that. And the catechism is a word that we use in the church to talk about the instruction of the church. Just what is it that you've been brought into? What are these mysteries that we've been included in? And so I want to just talk about what is meant by our baptism, what is given to us in the waters of baptism this morning. I'm going to start in the book of Colossians, uh, chapter 1. Before we open the scriptures, let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your life, death, and resurrection. God, we thank you for the gift of the kingdom of God. We thank you for the gift of new life that you have given to us. 
We thank you that that new life is exploding everywhere, that it's spilling out upon everything. Paul says that the old things have passed away and behold, all things are becoming new. And we look around us and we see the signs of spring everywhere, the green grass and the blossoms on the trees and the weather is warming. And that to us is a sign of the eternal spring that is coming our way, (laughs) the kingdom of God that is dawning among us. And so um, what am I praying for this morning? I'm praying that we would be astonished again by the God of the gospel and by all that's given to us in Christ Jesus our Lord. Spirit move upon us this morning, we pray. We thank you for these candidates that are being baptized this morning. We're asking that you would seal up in them a work that can never be undone. No power of hell and no scheme of man will ever be able to undo it. And I'm also praying that you would move upon the hearts of those that need to enter the waters this morning and that they'd respond to your call. Remind us all of what we've been given this morning. Refresh and renew us by your spirit. We ask all these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said. Colossians chapter 1 and starting in verse 15, hear the word of the Lord. Paul says that the Son is the image of the invisible God. How do we know what God is like, God the Father is like? We look to God the Son. He is, as we've said throughout this series, he is God without remainder. There is no extra of God out there where after we get to know Jesus, we go, now I didn't know that you were like that, but all the fullness dwells in Jesus. And so he's the image of the invisible God, Paul says, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. So you see that in this text, Paul is like kind of telling the story of the universe, but he's doing it in a Christological key, showing you how from the very beginning, the reality of Christ is knit into all things. All things created through him, he says, but also for him, that the destination of all created reality is Jesus Christ, the living one. Amen and amen. Paul goes on, he says that he is before all things, and I love this, and in him, All things hold together. The old word for it is subsist. That all things are held together in the person of Jesus. And not just some vague spiritual presence up in the sky, but the very Jesus who walked in the pages of the text of Scripture in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Mary's son, Pilate's victim, the one who was laid in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, the one who met Mary Magdalene in the garden in John 20, the one who dined with the disciples, ate fish with them in his resurrected state, even though he doesn't need to eat to live, he does it because he wants to. That one, somehow in him, all things are held together. And he, Paul says, is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in all things he might have the supremacy. So now we've shifted to him in his resurrected state. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And you once were alienated from God and you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you, how? What does the text say? By Christ's physical body through death. Somehow in Jesus, what was wrong in our relationship with God has been made right. So by Christ's physical body through death, to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and don't move from the hope held out in the gospel. And this is the gospel that you heard 
And that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord, and all God's people said. Paul tells the story of cosmic history through Jesus Christ. And in a world that has been disordered by sin, Paul says that Christ Jesus has been raised from the dead. And in his body now, through his body now, all things that do subsist in him are being gathered up together. They're being reconciled to God. Do you remember the old days when you had to reconcile your checkbook, your bank statement or whatever? What were you doing? You were trying to get on paper what was true and actual fact in your bank statement, right? That's what's happening in reconciliation, that somehow when we touch the reality of God, what happens here, we're sort of like the bank statement or whatever, we get reconciled in actual fact with what is true of God. And Paul says that all of that is happening through Christ Jesus. He goes on to say this, Colossians 2 and verse 9, that in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ Jesus you've been brought to fullness. God, he's the head over every power and authority, and in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. For when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. And he forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and the authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. And so baptism, you can put the slide up on the screen. If you had to say what Paul thinks about baptism and what the church has always taught about baptism, baptism is our entry point into Christ's raised body. But that body that took sin and death inside of itself and exhausted them of its power has been now raised up and set beyond the reach of death forever. It is, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, it is the very first fruits of the new creation. It's the first glimpse of where God is taking all things. That body is. And Paul says that baptism is our entry into that body. That somehow when we enter the waters of baptism, we get all tangled up in the story of Christ Jesus, who has died for us and was raised to life in order to deliver us safely into the coming kingdom of God. So baptism is our entry point into Christ's raised body, which itself is the beginning of the new creation. When we enter the waters of baptism, somehow like Noah, we're entering the ark and coming up through into a cleansed universe, a cleansed reality. Like the, Israel, the children of Israel, we're entering the Red Sea and coming up on the other side, beginning a journey into the promised land. So here, we enter these waters and we begin to take our first feeble steps into the new creation. Guys, baptism is not just some throwaway rite of passage that we have in the church where it's like, yeah, I don't know, we're just going to throw some water at you and yay, welcome to Team Jesus. But somehow what happens is that the Spirit claims these waters and the Spirit makes them like a portal, a gateway, a doorway into all of the promises of God. Augustine said that sacraments are an external sign of an invisible grace, that somehow all that's happening spiritually to us, God tells us about it through these waters and he also makes it happen to us through these waters. This isn't just some random silly thing that we do, but actually the whole of our life as the people of God 
is contained in these waters of baptism. So what I want to do here is I want to just give to you three dimensions. What's actually happening when we enter the waters of baptism? What is this trying to say to us? And what is this enacting for us as God's people? Number one, I'd say this, that in baptism, we enter a new relationship with Jesus. In baptism, we enter a new relationship with Jesus. Paul, Jesus says it like this in John 15, in verse 5. He says that I am the vine and you are what? You're the branches. And if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. And apart from me, you can do, you can't do anything apart from me. Paul actually picks up on this metaphor in the book of Romans. He says that all of us who were outside of Christ were like wild branches that were grafted into the reality of Jesus Christ. We were cut off from the source of life and somehow we got brought in and grafted into Christ Jesus. And now all of the life that is in Christ Jesus pours into us, making us alive. And whereas right at the very beginning, you might've been able, if I haven't done a lot of grafting of branches in my day, but I can only assume that you know, at the very beginning, there's kind of like a sort of separateness to them and you're sort of reaching for it, hoping that a connection is made. And as time goes on, the threads of life begin to overlap to such a degree that you cannot really distinguish where the vine ends and the branch begins because they're one thing. I remember sitting with my kids one time and we were meditating on John 15 together and I asked that question. I said, so guys... If you looked at like the vine and the branches and all of that, so how, how do you tell the difference between the vine and the branches? And they sat there for a little bit, kind of stumped at it, you know, and then Ethan, the oldest perceptive one, he said, well, you can't. I said, ah, that's exactly the point. That what happens is that we're brought into the reality of Christ in such a way that you cannot tell where the life of Christ ends and the life of Joel Sunquist begins because they've gotten so mixed up with one another. Do you know that that is God's intent for our lives? For most of us, before we come to Christ, for all of us, before we come to Christ, we relate to Christ mostly in an external way, right? That Jesus is like a guy who lived and died. And I don't know, some people have this, they have started spreading some rumors that maybe he was raised from the dead. And I don't know, he's kind of interesting. I've read some things about him and he's like a thing out there. But how many of you know, if you've been baptized, you've come into a relationship with Jesus, there is this whole shift of your relationship with Jesus. You no longer relate to him in an external way, but you relate to him in an integral, integrated, internal way. When I was a kid growing up in the church, we talked a lot about asking Jesus into your heart. Have you welcomed Jesus into your heart? And I don't know that we talk that much like that so much anymore. And I... There isn't really like language. There's not like precedent for that in the New Testament. The New Testament doesn't exactly talk that way. And yet I think that's a beautiful way to talk about Jesus. That what we do, the center of our thoughts and our affections and our emotions, the center of our will and our desires, what we do is we open that up to Jesus. And somehow the life of Jesus begins to pour into us. And now our lives are animated by something other than just our fear and just our ambition and just our drive and just our desire, but they're given something else. There's a new impetus that takes place in us. So think about, when I think about this metaphor, I am the vine, 
you are the branches. I think about um, some gardening that I've done over the years. I haven't done like a lot of gardening. Uh, and that gardening that I have done has usually been an abject failure. And one time, I was living in Tulsa, Oklahoma, working my first pastor job back there. And we had this little property by the fairgrounds. And one spring, we decided that we wanted to spruce it up a little bit. And so I was like, this is going to be the year, you know, that I am going to plant some really pretty fr- flowers. And I'd seen a bunch of people around town had these plants, uh, hydrangeas. You ever seen a hydrangea before? Really, really beautiful with like these little petals that are like milky kind of lavender white, gorgeous plant. And I was like, hydrangeas, I'm doing this. And I had this shed in my backyard that was just so incredibly ugly. And I was like, you know, it spruce up the shed. It's like hydrangeas. So I bought a bunch of hydrangeas and I planted them there in front of the shed. And within a couple of weeks, my hydrangeas are just like so bad, dying, withering. This thing is supposed to be so beautiful. is like, you know, being consumed by death is what was happening. And so somebody who knows more about flowers than me was over at my house one day and I was talking them through my plants and all my big, you know, amazing plants were making my place look pretty. And they looked at the hydrangeas and saw that they were dying. And they said, what are you doing? So what do you have going on there? I said, hydrangeas. I was trying to like get the, so that the shed would look, you know, more beautiful. And they said, well, you can't, the problem, you can't plant hydrangeas there. I said, why not? Well, they said in the first place, that's soil. Don't you notice that soil is like awful soil. And plus, you don't like really get any sunlight back here. It needs like different soil and different exposure to sunlight. And so if you move those hydrangeas over here, if you like replant them, okay, in other soil and in a place where they get different sunlight, a different kind of environment, you'll see them come to life. And so I did it. I dug up those hydrangeas and I planted them in the front yard and I put, I gave them different soil and all kinds of things. And within like a week, all of a sudden the hydrangeas had like left up and they were being very hydrangea-y. The hydrangeas were hydrangea-ing and it was Amazing. That is the picture, I think, of our life in Christ. That we're planted in this soil that is just doing no good for us, right? We're planted in the soil of our fears. We're planted in the soil of our ambitions. And we're planted in the soil of culture and the identity that's given to us by our nation or our state or our family. And that's the place that we're drawing nutrients up from. And the sun of righteousness is not shining on us, and we find that we're withering at the vine. And what happens by the Spirit is that we're lifted up out of those environments that were killing us, and we're planted in the total environment of Christ Jesus, which bl- brings life to us. And I think about all the stories that I've seen where this has taken place, so remarkable. I think about a young woman that I ran into several years ago. She was in an abusive, toxic relationship, and she came to a women's night out at the main campus of New Life years ago and wandered in hurting and confused, did not know the Lord at all. Truthfully, she didn't even know, know really why she wound up at Women's Night Out, but she winds up there. And she starts interacting with the women at Women's Night Out, and they begin sharing Christ with her and opening up their lives to her. And she's in this toxic relationship where she's being abused. And pretty soon, this community at Women's Night Out, they begin to draw her into their life together. And all of a sudden, they're helping train her in spiritual disciplines and spiritual practices. And she's learning how to worship Jesus and opening her heart and her life up to Jesus. And pretty soon in that relationship that she was in, it had reached a breaking point. And so the church brought her in and like put her in a new home in the church. There was a couple in the church that opened up their lives to her. And she literally like the hydrangea was replanted in different soil. And this woman who had such a, when she first started coming to our church, had such a darkness and a gloom about her. Within a couple of years, all of a sudden, like you couldn't run into her and not have like smiling all the time and gratitude pouring out from the center of her 
the hard, why? Because she'd met Jesus. She'd entered the waters of baptism. And her baptism Sunday was like one of the most joyful events that we'd ever seen. It literally called out of darkness and brought into the marvelous light. The challenge, I think, that our baptism continually throws at us is the challenge of where are we drawing our life from, friends? But Paul puts it this way in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. He says that I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but what? Christ what? Lives in me. What's the animating principle of our life now? It's Christ. He lives to the glory of the Father. He lives constantly for the good of other people. Christ now is the center of our lives. He says that Christ lives in me in the life that I now live in the body. I'm living by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The ongoing challenge of our baptism is this. What drives my life? What is nourishing my life? See, when we cross the threshold of the waters of baptism, we're not just kind of checking that box, you know, and going, well, okay, I'm done with that now. Move on to the next thing. But what we're doing is we're being grafted into the reality of Christ Jesus. And the sad reality is that for too many of us, we have just used this as a moment where we check the box. Okay, I did the thing now. I'm done. Moving on. I got news for you. You never move on from your baptism. But you always stay in it. But the whole point of the Christian life is learning how to root ourselves ever more deeply in Christ. The question of our baptism, what is driving your life, guys? Is it ambition, career ambition that's driving your life? Is it, is it anger or fear that's driving your life? What is nourishing your life? Is it your ambition for your political party? Is that what's driving your life and nourishing your life? Is it your desire to get away from all of those people who have wounded you? Is that what's driving your life, nourishing your life? Or is it Christ Jesus? So what we do in our baptism is we learn to begin to root ourselves in Christ Jesus and the rest of our life is spent rooting ourselves ever more deeply in him, drawing life directly up straight from the source. That's number one. Baptism introduces us into a new relationship with Jesus. But it does more than that. Secondly, in baptism, we enter into a new relationship, not just with Jesus, but we enter into a new relationship with what? With the church. That's right. Listen to Paul's words in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul writes, just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, and say it real loud now, so as to form what? One body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many parts. We were all, I love that. We were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body. Or as the old translation says, we were baptized by the spirit into one body. That when we're baptized, we're not just entering into a personal relationship with Jesus, but when we're baptized, we're being shunted into this whole relationship with a new people, the new family known as the church. And a lot of people, I think, miss this. Uh, any of you in this room fans of uh, Johnny Cash? Thank you. Bless the Lord for Johnny Cash. We got an applause for Johnny Cash in the back of the room. Let's give it up. Thanks be to God for Johnny Cash. Johnny Cash, 
You might know towards the end of his life really had something of a spiritual awakening, kind of renaissance. You know, he born and raised in the church, but he had wandered from all of that, a life of alcohol and drugs and craziness. And towards the end of his life, he begins to come back around to the reality of Jesus. And there are some songs that he wrote that are really beautiful. And he did have one that you might remember, my own personal Jesus. Do you remember this? Do we only have like three of you know this song? Lord Almighty. Go watch it or listen to it when you get out of here. My own personal, you remember it? Jesus. Someone to hear your prayers. Someone who cares. You don't know this song, Colin? Colin, you're the consummate cowboy. I don't know how you know that. I don't remember all the rest of the words, but your own personal Jesus is the refrain. And it is like a heck of a good song. And it's got this like, it's got this energy that's so good. And by the end of it, I mean, you're just going for it. You know, yeah, like my own personal Jesus. Yes. Somebody hear my prayers. Somebody who cares. Finally, your own personal Jesus. And we do enter into a new relationship with Jesus in the waters of baptism. But I think that for many people, the personal dimension, the me and Jesus dimension of baptism winds up eclipsing the other important dimension of baptism, which is that you don't get to have a relationship with Jesus without also having a relationship with his people. And that's the hardest part of it, you know? It's like, well, Jesus, I can deal with Jesus, but the, the, your people, you know? Gandhi said something like that one time. He was like, your Christ is fine. Go Jesus. It's the Christians. They're really challenging to be around sometimes. And they are. We are challenging to be around sometimes. But that's the whole mystery of the faith. That Jesus, as he ascends to the right hand of the Father and pours out his spirit, the way in which he becomes available to us now is precisely by means of the church, is that we are the body of Christ. And when Paul uses that language in the New Testament, he's not saying that in some kind of wistful, poetic way, like, oh, yes, you know, you're the body of Jesus and all of that. And he's saying that the way in which Jesus is available on planet Earth is precisely by way of the body. And I'm telling you, that's a scandal. It's a real scandal. You know why? Because we suck sometimes. That's a kind of bad language, but it's true. We don't have our act together and we don't have everything put together. And, you know, you come into the church and it's really magical and wonderful for a couple of weeks, you know. And then all of a sudden, somebody takes in fellowship hour the donut that you had your eye on. You know, could you? it's the last one with sprinkles, you know. And but offenses will come. Jesus said that. And I remember, you know, years ago being on social media one night and I saw this meme that was floating around on social media and it was getting a ton of traction. I mean, like thousands and thousands and thousands of shares. And the meme said, I am the church, you know? And I hear the sentiment behind that. It's this kind of anti-institutional thing. Like the church has been hijacked by, you know, building programs and big budgets and the whole operation and da-da-da and like trying to reclaim like the human dimension of it. I am the church. But I remember thinking, just by virtue of like a sentence in the English language, it doesn't work. The church by definition is a collection of people. You know, there's this verse in Proverbs that says that where, that where there are no oxen, the manger, manger is clean. I've always gotten a kick out of that one, you know. You got to 
bunch of animals together, you know. Somebody going to make a mess on the floor. But he says that from the strength of the ox comes an abundant harvest. That somehow where the strength of God is found is precisely in the people of God. But it is a scandal. It's a difficult scandal. And in a way, guys, I actually think that it's an extension of the scandal of the incarnation itself. You remember, a big tripping point for people with Jesus was not that he was such a nice guy. And it wasn't that he did miracles. And it wasn't necessarily that he talked about the forgiveness of sins or said that God loves you and has a plan for your life. Those weren't the things that were scandalizing about Jesus. You know what was scandalizing about Jesus? Jesus (laughs) was scandalizing about Jesus. But here he is in the midst of the human family acting with the authority of God speaking with the authority of God, forgiving sins and cleansing lepers and saying, you have heard that it was said in Moses, but now I say unto you. And they look at him and they go, who does this guy really think he is? Isn't this Mary's son? Isn't this Joseph's son? Didn't he grow up in Nazareth of Galilee? Like he's, but he's human. Think about it. He got acne. Some of you, is like the biggest scandal to your faith that you had. He maybe had a crush in junior high that went badly. We don't know. He was human. He got body odor. <laughs> I swear he did. But it was all of that, guys. It was the humanity of Jesus is what people tripped over. How could the fullness of the Godhead be here in this guy? In this guy that's standing on trial before Pilate? In this one? who's been nailed to the hardwood of the cross. This is where the fullness of God dwells. In this one who is bleeding out, in this one who is crying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the New Testament insists over and over and over again, breathlessly, that God is to be found nowhere other than in the, his fullness is in Jesus the Lord, in his very humanity. Guys, and that humanity... We continue by being grafted into Christ by his spirit. When you get baptized, you're being introduced into this family that somehow the full, that's what Paul says in Colossians. He says in Christ, the fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily and you also have been brought to fullness in Christ who is the head over every power and authority. Somehow in Christ Jesus, we have been included in that and the fullness of the Godhead rests here. And do you know how I know it? I know it because of all the lives that I see continually changed by being brought into proximity with people that are as wonderfully flawed as you are. That's the miracle of it. That, and these folks that are going to give up and get up and bear witness in a little while here, they've been recipients of that. That it wasn't just some kind of existential encounter with Jesus in this vacuum over here, but it was by coming into the family of God. Where the family of God is worshiping and lifting high the name of Jesus and we're passing the peace to one another. We're sharing communion with one another and we're sharing donuts in the lobby and greeting you in the lobby and where we're sitting at tables together and sharing about the scriptures and praying over each other. All of that, guys, that is part of how, in fact, the New Testament says it's the center of the bullseye of how God is saving the world even now. So in baptism, what happens to us? We're brought into a relationship with Christ Jesus. We're brought into a relationship 
with his church. And the question, the ongoing challenge of our baptism by virtue of, by, by, with respect to the communal piece of it, is that are we living in an ongoing and vital relationship to the church? Our baptism continues to call us back to the church, number two. But then the third question that our baptism poses to us, the dimension that's opened up here, is that in baptism, guys, we enter into a new relationship, not just with Jesus and not just with the church, but we enter into a new relationship with our with our future. That's right. This is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul writes, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. And I promise you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin. I promise you to one husband, to Christ, that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. What does Paul think is happening in the encounter with Christ? He says, you're being brought into a kind of engagement with Christ. Mandy and I are going on 22 years of marriage this August. And in March of 2000, I got down on my knee and I proposed to her. Beautiful, magical moment. Our friends set the scene for us. I did it at this house that Mandy was living at. And uh, we had planned a dinner this whole beautiful night. And we walked into the house that night. And Canon and Dee is playing, you know, on the stereo. And there are rose petals everywhere and candles. And I got down on my knee and I asked her to become my wife. And thanks be to God, she said yes. And I gained... So much in that moment, I gained a life. This woman, the cornerstone, that relationship has become the cornerstone of a meaningful life together. I gained so much in that moment. But do you know what I also, I forfeited things in that moment. And do you know what I forfeited in that moment? I forfeited the rights in that moment to ever think about my future again in ways that did not include her and involve her. Do you realize that that's what's happening in your baptism? Again, you're not checking off the box. You're not getting a fire insurance for yourself. What you're doing is you're entering into this kind of promissory relationship where Jesus becomes your whole future. And too many of us, we forget that. We do check the box of baptism, we kind of move on and we just kind of try to live our lives as though God is not a thing. And do you understand, you're being brought in the most intimate kind of union with Jesus Christ, a marriage union, where now all of the consideration for our future, all of the consideration for our life, it involves Jesus. Jesus, this direction that I want to go, does this please you? Jesus, this thing that I'm thinking about doing, does this please you? Jesus, is this your will for my life? Is this what you want? Is this what you love? Is this what you desire? Does this make you happy? Is this in your heart also to do that? That's what's happening here. And it's even more than that. You know, Mandy and I enter into a relationship with one another in perfect mutuality. But when we enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ, the relationship is not, it's not primarily mutual. <laughs> we call him Lord Jesus. But he's in charge. So what we're doing is we're submitting all that we are and all that we have to him. I remember being in high school and I was in a prayer meeting and this guy whose spirituality, his faith in Jesus, I greatly respected, was praying for different people in the prayer meeting. And I'll never forget, he came around to me. I was probably 16 or so at the time. And he came around to me and he began to pray for me, laid his hands on my head and he's praying and prophesying over my life. And I remember just kind of receiving what God was doing in that moment. And I'm in that 16, 17 you're thinking about your future and where you're going to go and what you're going to do, you know, and I had plans and purposes and all of that. 
And I remember as he was praying over me that day, he stopped his prayer in the middle and he goes, Andrew Arndt, he goes, I need you to look at me. And he was like a intense northeasterner with curly hairs and eyes, curly hair and eyes like a flaming fire, you know. Andrew Arndt, when he spoke, you listen. You know, Andrew Arndt, I need you to look at me. I open my eyes and I look at him. He goes, thus saith the Lord to you. Go, okay. He says, make your plans and know that I will change them. <laughs> and do you know what I remember my reaction being that day? I remember my reaction being like, really? That, that's how it's going to be, God? Come on, like, I got some pretty good plans here. Thought long and hard about these things that I want to do. And like, why can't you respect my... But do you know that God's plans for you are better than your plans for your life? The writer of Proverbs says, many are the plans in a person's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. And it's good that it should. Because God's will for us is only good all the time. And those things that come to us that feel desperately frustrating for us, feels like it's knocked us off our story, knocked us off our plans, knocked us off our program, that is actually God's way of getting us right in the smack of the, like smack dab in the middle of his will. We yield to him our desires and our delights and we give them to him and somehow he gets us into the future that he has for us. And therefore our hope for our future does not hang on our ability to plan a good future for ourselves. But our hope for our future hangs upon God's ability to design things for us that are greater than mind can conceive and heart can ever imagine. Theologian Jürgen Moltmann put it like this. And with this, we're going to begin to make the turn into baptism. He says, the ultimate reason for our hope in life is not to be found at all in what we want or wish for or wait for. But the ultimate reason is that we are wanted and wished for and waited for. Just like an engagement, God is waiting for us both in our present and he's waiting for us in a future that he has designed for us. He says, what is it that awaits us? Does anything await us at all or are we alone? We are waited for, he says, as the prodigal son in the parable is waited for by his father. We are accepted and received as a mother takes her children into her arms and comforts them. And God, he says, is our last hope because we are God's first love. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. That when he welcomes us into relationship with him, he sets up a future for us that's good. God is our last hope because we are God's first love. Can you receive that this morning? Can we stand to our feet and prepare ourselves to all, not just these individuals, but to as a church re-enter the waters of baptism? I'm going to invite Pastor Colin to come forward along with the two folks that are getting baptized. And anybody else right now, as Pastor Colin and these two are sharing, if you'd like to get baptized this morning, we'd love to baptize you. So Colin, would you introduce us to our candidates Casey and Barry, come on for up baptism? Here. Would you guys welcome my friends? You stand over here. Casey, how are you? Good, Eric. Doing great, man. We are so excited to celebrate uh, this with you guys. Thank you for your courage. Thank you for, um, for, for showing us mm -hmm. what it means to be included today. Can you share with us what you prepared? Sure. Um, 
I wanted to show my dedication to Jesus Christ. I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe Jesus Christ suffered once for sins that he might bring us to God, being put to death in Amen. flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. I want to show that my old man has been crucified with him so that the body that, of sin that has been done away with and hmm. so that this body of sin has been done, done away with and I'm free from sin and walk in newness, newness of life through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the truth, the way, and the life. Yes, he is. Amen. Amen. Casey, Give it up you. for Casey. Thank, thank you. Guys, I met, uh, I met Barry about a month ago. Um, the short story is that uh, Jake and Courtney Norman, who you might know, is part of our church, amazing people. Uh, they, they have been fostering a little boy named Kane, the cutest little guy you've ever seen. And we had a special dedication for Kane about a, uh, last year sometime. And our, um, our altar and our intercessory prayer teams were back in the back room praying. And we, had, we brought Kane into the room too. We just were praying, praying, praying over Kane as, as this foster baby, not knowing who his family was, not knowing the, the plans that God has. We were just praying for protection on him, praying for his dad. A month ago, Jake and Courtney introduced me to Barry as Kane's dad, mm. who, uh, who God has performed a miracle in his life brought him to us in, uh, on a broken road. And um, so when we're praying blessing over Cain, God is, God is like getting everybody. Yeah. And Barry said, <laughs> the first thing he said to me is, I want to be baptized. And so can you celebrate the miracle yes. that's happening here today? And so, and so briefly, Barry, would you share not that great at public speeches, but I'll do my best <laughs> already. Um, like you had said, uh, about two years ago, actually, uh, December 12th of 2019, I had lost my son. Uh, I'm a recovering addict, um, and I had lost my way for a long time. I grew up in this life, uh, and I want it differently. Um, you know, we all, every man in my family carries the same name except for my son. Uh, I broke the cycle with him, or at least I'm trying every single day. Come on. And uh, I just wanted, I, I wanted, you know, to wash away my old life in the best way I knew how. And this is my family here, and they're my family. And, you know, through, through this life, I have been given many blessings. And, you know, three of them are standing right there. Yes, so sir. I really appreciate everyone here, and I, I really appreciate the opportunity. Come on. Give it up for Barry one more time. Woo. Friends, we're going to, again, this is a moment not just for them, but this is a moment for all of us to acknowledge what the Spirit's doing in our midst. And so I say to you this morning, that faith, the faith that's growing in Casey's heart and in Barry's heart, it's the gift of God to his people. And in baptism, the Lord is adding to our number those whom he is calling. People of God, will you welcome these candidates and uphold them in their new life in Christ? Amen. And in baptism, God calls us into relationship with Jesus and his people. And so for, therefore, I'm asking you guys, do you turn to Christ as Savior and submit to Christ as Lord? Amen. And do you receive the people of God as your family? <laughs> Amen. All right, guys, I want you to stretch your hands, church family. I want you to stretch your hands out towards Casey and Barry. We're going to anoint them with oil. 
Pray in the Spirit's presence and power upon them, the continued work of the Spirit. And so we mark you. Casey, we mark you. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Barry, we mark you. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And we say that the power of Christ Jesus now is coming to you. The work of the great high priest, Jesus Christ, is coming to you even now. And the scripture says that he is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. And so we pray that the work that has been going on in these hearts, these lives, these many months, that we're getting to witness now, that it would be carried on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. We thank you that what's happening here this morning is releasing and confirming a process that cannot be touched by the evil one. It'll continue unbroken into eternity until these two are delivered safely in the kingdom of God. So seal them up, mark them with the seal. This morning, the promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Thank you for including these two in our family, including them in our midst. Thanks for calling them out of darkness and into your marvelous light. Thanks for making them part of the body. We say, Holy Spirit, have your way in Jesus' name. And all God's people said. And now let's declare our faith together, church. Put the next slide up on the screen, please. Together we confess our faith with these men. Say it. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he will come to judge the living and the dead. Do you, friends and church family, do you believe and trust in the Holy Spirit? Say it with me, church family. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy universal church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. People of God, will you give God praise this morning? We're going to baptize these guys right now. We'll be responding in worship, so sing with us. If you'd like to be baptized, you can join us in the waters. They're warm this morning. Let's uh, release our praises to the Lord as we baptize these guys.
time we'll sing that chorus. I believe in God our Father. I believe in God our Father. I believe in Christ his Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Our God is three in one. I believe in the resurrection that we will rise again. For I believe in the name of Jesus. For I in the name of Jesus. Yes.
time so if you need to go you can go but if baptism if baptism is the gateway into the house of God what you're being welcomed into is the table of the Lord the dining room where we feast and we enjoy fellowship with him and so brothers and sisters the Lord be with you would you lift up your hearts let us give thanks to the Lord our God and it is good and right to give you thanks and praise We thank you for what you've done here this morning. What a miracle. What a joy. And here we are now together with you at your table, feasting in anticipation of that day when Christ Jesus returns, making all things new. And we sit together with him 
at the feast in the kingdom of God. And so we pray here and now, renew us at the table. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, after he had given thanks, he took the bread and broke it. Can you break it with me? And he said, take this, all of you, and eat. This is my body broken for you. Do this whenever you eat it in remembrance of me, the body of Christ. Let's take it together. And in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, drink from this, all of you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for many for the remission of sins. Do it whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Brothers and sisters, the cup of the new covenant. Can we take it together? And can we give God praise one more time for what he's done this morning? Doxology. Praise God from bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you, brothers and sisters. May the Lord turn his face towards you and grant you his peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, grace, mercy, and peace be with you. Join us for fellowship hour. Give a, a high five or a handshake or a hug to our candidates if you see them out in the hallway. Good to see you again this morning. New Life East, you're loved. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. See you next week.